So let me ask you this. Who had a worse sports weekend between the two of you? You or Emma? Because you were the one who had the commitment to the sport. But Emma had to be there like a real trooper and grind through and experience all with you. I would say me. Just because Emma can go. Emma went and did her own thing. So okay. she was only having to deal with me in the aftermath. But like the lead up, everything was fine. We had some wings. It was good. During the game, she was doing her own thing, watching some murder mystery show. I don't know. And it was after the game that was really the worst of it. So mm-hmm. I would say me. <laughs> because okay. I, All right. at what point after the Bucks game ended, I had said sports are dumb. You know what? The, that time when we had no sports, that was a good time. We get live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> 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 Toronto. And because Philly sucks... I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nah. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Brew Hoop Podcast. It's me, Riley Feldman, co-host uh, and coasting, co-hosting, I should say, alongside Kyle Carr, Adam we hope you're still able to listen to this in montana we hope no bears jumped you while you're out there we hope you come back next week uh so hopefully i think this will be the last week without adam but i'm here with kyle and kyle it seems like you've had a really wondrous sporting weekend how are you doing today i am in the best of moods and in the best of states body wise you know when your favorite soccer team loses and you have to ship a Hennessy decorated bottle down to the other team. Yep. It's a great time. And when you follow when you follow up that loss with seeing the Bucks not able to win, it makes it even better. Mm-hmm. It was a fun night that I did not enjoy. <laughs> I think the only thing that would have made it better for you is if we then also allowed you access to the 8,000 followers on the Brew Hoop account to really, really soak it all in for everybody to see, to everybody to enjoy. If anyone follows me personally, they know that Saturday night I was tweeting through the pain. And, you know, it was best that I wasn't on the Brew Hoop account because I probably would have gotten an email from Mitchell and Seth and those higher-ups wondering what is wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, what I would not have been weekend? as – I would not have been as what's, – what's the word I'm trying to think? Mature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's tough, and the one thing, because I tweeted the game yesterday on the Brew Hoop account, it's easy because these games don't really matter. And speaking of those games, before we really start diving in, this week I think uh, what we're going to end up doing is we're going to just try and quick hit these games, and then I think you and I are both interested in talking about the general trends, good and bad, that we've seen so far, now that we're five slash eight games in, depending on if the scrimmages count. So just a recapper for everybody, uh, this past week the Bucks lost on Saturday in OT, 136-132 to the Mavericks. Uh, they actually pulled out the win, thankfully, 130-116 over the Heat, and then they lost against the no-name, G-League, no-good, downright awful Nets, 119-116. Any three of those games jump out at you, I think uh, there's trends we can talk about further down, but which of those three do you want to start with? I feel like 
The Nets one is not... I, I would say the Heat one, just because I feel with the Nets, it was more of the Nets shot a lot of threes and made a lot of threes, and Milwaukee defensively did not try, especially in the first half, it seemed. And then they started to turn it around and didn't... and got themselves back in the game, thanks to DJ Wilson, no less. But that was one where they just fell short at the end, and I think if they had played Giannis or Chris for any of those moments in the second half, they might pull out the win in that scenario, but it, it was just, that was just the type of game it was. It seemed like Brooklyn was hitting every timely shot. Anytime Milwaukee got close, Brooklyn would hit a three, or anytime Milwaukee was within two or three, Brooklyn would get a layup. It was very much more alarming Milwaukee's defense in the paint especially without uh, Brooke Lopez than it was with their perimeter. And I think that's going to be, I think that's what people are wanting to talk about more is the perimeter defense and the issues that arise there. And I know that's something that we're going to talk more about, but yeah. in that Nets game in particular, it was the rim protection and the lack of defense in the paint that was concerning. So yeah. that's really all I have for the Nets game. Again, it's kind of tough when Giannis and Chris only play a half and Brooke didn't play at all. Yep. And Eric and Pat were just – that was their first game back as well, so they weren't even at 100%. Yep. Yeah, just for everybody's sake here, for the starters in that game against the Nets, Giannis played 16 minutes, Chris played 16 minutes, Robin Lopez got the start 20 minutes for him, George Hill as well, 20 minutes, and Eric Butts only 18 minutes. Uh, literally every single person, every all 13 players who could have suited up got to play and got to play double-digit minutes, uh, which probably goes a long way to explaining why they played so poorly. Uh, and I believe Giannis led the team with 16 points, uh, went 2 or 3 from 3, and Kyle Cover was in second place there, 13 points, 3 of 5 from 3. But overall, yeah, I don't know, it's... It's like this microcosm where the system on both sides this is working super duper well, and then you double it up by having the not good players play a lot. And a lot of the lineups that Bo was trotting out there, it's like, ah, I mean, you could tell <laughs> once halftime, it was like, we really don't care. Because there's a lot of strange combinations. Like you have DJ for a lot of minutes. You have Kyle Korver. But I think, how many minutes did he end up having? He had 17 minutes. Marvin Frank Williams, Mason good made for an appearance. Yeah, Frank Mason, he was out there for 18 minutes and played pretty well. Um, Ursan got 10 rebounds and 11 points double-double for Ursan. So it was like everything about that game, if you were like me when you initially watched it, it was just like watching from home or I was at work, so I had to follow through like Twitter and just like the Brew Hoop comment stream. It seemed like a lot worse of a loss, but because there was so much like Bud doesn't care about the way that the team is playing, doesn't care and so when you're playing against the G League Nets, you're like, we're just going to do all reserves for the most part and try and get the starters just a couple of minutes. At that point, you can forgive it because it's a lot more blatant where it's like we're not trying. Whereas the Dallas game and the Heat game, those were categorically different because those were a lot more all out, especially that Heat second half, which, I mean, the first half, again, I had to watch that from work. It was... <laughs> brutal just watching the score continue to get higher and higher and higher for the heat it was just not not pretty and then to have them turn around the way that they did really put the pedal to the metal in the second half it, i mean it, who or what stood out to you in the heat second half in particular because i think you and i agree everyone agrees that was the best basketball they've played in the bubble so far oh by far uh -huh. and i think the thing that stood out the most in that second half 
was it with the first half and the Nets game, it seemed like Milwaukee was incapable of getting two consecutive stops in a row. And in the Heat game, that was the difference. They were able to get stretches of three, four stops that they were able to get. And while they may not have scored off of any of those, all of those stops and all the turnovers, they at least were getting defensive stops. So that way, you can at least hold serve. You can keep, you have level ground. And that's when I, and I think that's really what became the difference is Milwaukee's defense had gone to that level that we had been so accustomed to, had gotten to the level that has it in first place, and like has the best ranking defense in the league. It got to that level, and it seemed, I don't want to say it necessarily seemed like a switch happened, but it really did feel like whatever Bud said at halftime or whatever was said at halftime, it, it really stuck with them because you could just see that the effort was a little bit there. You could see that once they were able to get a few stops and get a couple buckets on their end, when they're starting to see the light, like, hold on, we can win this game. We just have to make sure that we keep this level of energy the whole, the rest of the way. Like you can't take a minute off. You can't take one or two, you know, series. You have to go, this has to be a nonstop thing. And that's really to me what stood out the most was defensively. It seemed once they were able to actually get a few stops, then they started believing that they could, not only win this game, but win it in such a convincing fashion. And that's what we saw with, you look at the final score, and if you had told anyone going into that game, the Bucks are going to win by 14 points, 130-116. Granted, the Heat don't have Jimmy Butler, but that's how it is. I think everyone would be like, that sounds about right. Yep. I don't see any issue with it. But for those that watch the game, or for anyone that was following it, or you read about it, it's wondering, it was not necessarily a question of, how did Milwaukee turn it around the second half? It's more, how did Milwaukee put itself in that position yeah. in the first half? And I think the first half was more of a kind of a general idea of what the Nets game was like and what the Houston Rockets game was like, where it's, people are getting shots up. They seem to be overcommitting. It just defensively, they looked lackadaisical. And I don't know. I don't even know if this was the same defense that we were seeing against the Celtics and the fact that the Celtics just don't have guys that can knock down shots at a consistent rate and maybe that's why they were able to get away with it then but it was it was interesting watch that second half because i'm sitting here wondering we've seen this now in the nets game we saw it in the rockets game are they going to be able to keep this up and not only did they keep it up but then they distanced themselves and won it in the end when Giannis was able to just get spin spin bucket after spin bucket and how easily he was able to get to the hoop, even though that Miami supposedly has Bam Adebayo and James Johnson has these Giannis stoppers, and yet I think that was the easiest Giannis has gotten to the hoop the whole time at the bubble. Yeah, we should give a shout-out to the stats. As usual, Giannis in that one, 33 points, 13 to 17 from the floor, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, 6 turnovers, 5 personals, not great there. Uh, Chris got 33 points, 10 to 10 from the line, 5 to 6 from 3. He had a really good 8 assists, 6 rebounds, plus 30. Brooke Lopez was plus 35. I mean, you look at this, 
almost nobody on the bench really contributed anything. I think Pat Connaughton, that was, I don't know if that was his first game. I have to go double check. No, it was, it was the sec- second, I think. second game back, but he goes three of six from three, four or eight overall, which is pretty good for him. Otherwise, nobody else on the bench really helped out a lot. And so that second half really came down a lot on the starters and the bench guys who came in to help kind of shore it up. But it feels like what happened was they took an old video recording of Jason Kidd when he was the coach, just saying energy and effort, like a supercut where it was just energy and effort over and over again. And then Moonholzer was like, as punishment for what happened there, I'm just going to play this for the 15 minutes. Let's do better. And it's like, it's heartening in that we got to see the team step up again to that level that we had seen so often throughout the regular season. It's like, okay, this is, you could see it, like just the tweets. Everybody's like, oh, thank God. This is like, this is the team that we've been used to, dominant on both ends, defensively stifling. And from there, the offense just kind of keeps rolling along because, like you said, Bam Adebato had a tough time stopping Giannis, especially late in the game where it was like, okay, it's still slightly close but as Milwaukee was pulling away I was like okay Giannis is just sunning Bam over and over again which is great to see and also again heartening for what we see hopefully you know if we face him in the playoffs but what's frustrating I think about these three games and all the games so far is that was the only half that we saw them reach that and so we're all stuck in this position where the team line is we don't really care we're just trying to get out of these healthy and because we're fans we're like already predisposed to want to win or to like to look good at least and so to have that bad first half after having like a bad outing against the nets and a sort of disappointing outing against the rockets it was like okay well i can't believe we're gonna lose to the heat too as well and just like (laughs) gone this huge losing streak so it was heartening again to see them bust that out really great and then we finished the week against the Mavericks. And that game was fun and frustrating again. And in that one, my main concern isn't so much the fact that Luka Doncic did as much as he did. Because he was excellent. All credit to him. I mean, I, I'd have to pull up his stats. But it was a triple-double with like 36 points, 19 assists, 14 rebounds. Like, really great game from him. The issue for me was... The defense overhelping, which we'll talk about in a second with our general trends, and the fact that they struggled to close out again. They ended up, I think it was a seven-point lead with about two minutes left, and they just either bad possessions, bad shots, turnovers, whatever it was, they couldn't secure the win. And I continue to worry about who the closer is on this team in that sort of situation. And normally in the flow of offense, you might be able to just generically through everybody else who's on the floor find the closer. But in that sort of situation where they have their star guy going off, the Bucks weren't able to keep him down. And that was what was most frustrating about the Dallas game to me. Yeah, for me, the most frustrating part about the Dallas game was there were moments when Milwaukee looked to be in control and then you put in the bench and it all fell apart. Mm-hmm. I think that was the most... Con- Concerning part, not going to be, um, and I know we'll talk about it for trends as well. That is what is ringing an alarm bell for me because I think, I don't remember what game it was, but in our chat, Andrew had me- mentioned how long of a leash do we give Bledsoe? And then my follow-up question was, it depends on how George Hill is because if George Hill isn't playing well, you have to give Bledsoe a longer leash, whether you like it or not, because the person that would come in to take that pressure off of him is doing just as bad if not worse so it kind of makes it 
a little bit concerning. And I think for me, it's just more the bench could not help out the starters. Because when the starters were in, other than overtime, they seemed to be able to get the runs going. I mean, what, they were up, what, 9 or 10 going into the fourth quarter? It, it just seemed like with the starters, other than early in the game, they were able to be in control. They were able to have things go how they want but then couldn't turn it around when the bench came in. That's when you see Kyle Korver coming in all of a sudden. Things fell apart in the fourth quarter. Like mm-hmm. that's, It's like that is the prime example. Kyle Korver comes into the fourth quarter. Milwaukee seems to be in control. And all of a sudden, Dallas is up, and we have a close game. And then, it gets to, and then we get to the end of the game with the final couple minutes. Well, that turned into another mess of its own, but that's a different trend to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And again, one more, just run through the stats here for Milwaukee in that one. So you're right. I mean, the big jump out between the Heat and the Dallas game is that the starters played really, really well. Um, Wes Matthews only six points, but that's fine because that's his role. Um, Eric had 15 points. Brooke Lopez, the Brooke Lopez game, we'll talk about him too. 34 points. Giannis had 34 points. Chris was 21. And let me just run down here real quick. The bench guys, just to drive home your point, Kyle. Uh, Ursan, four minutes of play. For some reason, he recorded the Tony Snell with zero 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 zeros across the board. Uh, Marvin Williams, four points in 21 minutes. Okay, five rebounds. George Hill, like you said, not great. One of five from three. He only had nine points. Kyle Korver was minus seven in two minutes of play somehow with zero points. Pat did okay. He had eight points in 24 minutes. And Dante with one point in 22 minutes. So it's like you're 100% right that if you're going to point it at anybody, it's going to be the bench guys who, for whatever reason, whether it was they were deferring too much, Dante's looked really bad. He had a really bad game yesterday too. George, he misses that three at the end of the game where you hope as like the league leader in three-point percentage, he makes that and you don't have to go into OT and you're like, okay, thank goodness we came back from behind and held off this win, but they just weren't able to. And so I think you're totally right that pointing at the bench in this one Besides the fact that they just didn't have an answer for Luke on the other end for either him creating himself or creating for teammates, um, I, I think that's probably one of the main culprits. Uh, that and bad refing on Giannis. People, uh, they continue, they being the refs, continue to have a tough time uh, making calls for and against him, which is somewhat confusing to me. I don't know. I don't understand how he gets kicked in the nuts and there's no review <laughs> on the flag or anything. And yet when he goes for a swipe, and I understand, and good on Bud challenging that follow near the end because if that would have stood Giannis would have fouled out yep. instead of at least went to Chris and yes Chris and Giannis both having five fouls is not ideal but it gives you a chance and that's kind of the nice thing with the challenge is you have that's when you need to use a challenge now I think I believe that Bud needs to be on the refs more at the very least to give Giannis more the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's the bigger issue that people have is Giannis never seems to get the benefit of the doubt when he's going up. I I think it was near the end of the game. He goes for the layup on a dude that's much smaller than him, gets hacked, no call. On the other end, Giannis then gets like a defensive play, but they call it a foul immediately. It's just more of, and that's when Giannis got up immediately and charged up the rep. It's like, those are the kind of things that we're talking about in which we say these refs are trash is you keep looking at the situation and you keep looking at this superstar that doesn't seem to be treated like a superstar. It seems that LeBron James gets that call. Kawhi Leonard gets that call. James Harden gets that call. Luka was getting those calls. And it's I understand that Giannis is a little bit tougher because of his size and speed and how he's able to do it. But at the same time, he should be getting as much of a benefit of the doubt as most of these other players. 
And I think that's what on the refing side of it. Now with the bench, I don't know what's going on there. It, it was one thing when the bench was not playing well, but you ha- then that's because you had to put you know, Dante as a starter or George Hill as a starter, and you don't have Pat Connaughton as well, and you're forcing yourself to play Sterling Brown you know, more minutes than you ideally want. Now that the bench is back to its normal bench mob status, it needs to be better, and I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the frustrating thing. And, you know, at the end of the game, that's as good of a look as you can give George Hill, so I can't be too upset about that, but it's more... I, I was saying this, why wasn't Kyle Korver also in? You you have the final shot. It, the shot clock's dead. You can take you can take as much time as you want and have the final shot. Why not have one extra shooter go at the lineup of George, Chris, Kyle, Giannis, Brooke? Yeah. And at the very least, that's four shooters that you, teams have to respect, and especially with how Brooke Lopez is playing. That's four shooters teams have to respect, and you can go give Giannis the ball, let him try and either get to the rim or you can kick it out to one of those guys. Again, it worked that George Hill got an open look, but that's just one. If you have Kyle Korver, like this is why you have Kyle Korver. You have him so that he can hit those threes with his quick trigger. And the fact that he, I understand he was a complete defensive liability, but in that situation, you're not expecting to play defense. Yeah, You're expecting to get the final shot and get that last shot off. Yeah, I don't even know who the lineup was out there. Like, I know Dante played, like, the final five minutes, which I appreciate. It kind of felt like... So there was this other thing about the Mavericks game where it seems like they ran up against a Brook Lopez minute load restriction because I think yep. he ended up... I don't know, I think he played 35 minutes. Like, okay, we're going to go no further than that with him. He had the most minutes of the game, and he had a really good game offensively, especially. Yeah, he didn't play at all in overtime, right? No, I don't think he did. Um, That's so he, he had an excellent game. Shout out to that guy. We'll talk about that too in a minute. But it was just weird, the lineups then that Bud went for at the end of the game. Like, Dante just not looked good, and he played a lot of last-second minutes. Like I said, not having Kyle Korver out there. I mean, to be fair, Kyle Korver had only played two minutes and looked awful in those two minutes because he was minus seven. He didn't really do much. Um, but yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's just, it, it's again, this issue where it's like, who's going to be the closing guy or what's going to, and, and again, on top of that, in the past, I've always been like, I'm worried about what kind of play we're going to run to get a good look at the end of a game. That was an excellent play. The the execution right. to use Chris and Giannis like a buddy ball to drag the defense off on the strong side, and then Chris with the fine cross-court weak side over to George Hill. Not a man on him. He had the time to set it up. Like, If part of your concern, which is one of mine, is that the team doesn't look like capable either after a timeout or like a last second possession to get a good look. That was proof positive that they're able to do that. And I would just like, would have liked throughout the season and probably as we head forward for them to do that a little bit more often to help reassure a little bit. So that's another thing that I I, I appreciated that even if it didn't end up going and finishing the game right then and there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of those where I was not mad at the play itself because it worked out. I was just more mad that it was they even put themselves in that position in the first place. Yeah. Because just like the Houston game, you had, while it's not set in stone anymore because all you need is two sh- shots and you're right back in a game in the NBA, but you're up seven with two-something minutes. Even if you can't get a basket, you should at least make the free throws. It's just more of a... You couldn't score. They didn't score a single point in that stretch, and that's kind of more the tough part. Because if they had made, you know, one or one or two free throws each time, you know, go to the line twice, make one, 
okay, you still at least get some points to put yourself in that position. But when you come out with no buckets, no baskets, constantly giving the other team a chance, kind of like what I was saying with the Heat game in the second half, you give a team two or three stops consecutively, and now they think they can get back in this game. Yep. And they, they did. And that's, that is more what's concerning to me because this is, again, the second time in a week that it happened. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Not great. I, again, it's like, how much of it does it matter? I don't know. I kind of think it matters because it, it, I would just rather they play better. But they go one and two, close game against Dallas. No shame in that. They're a good team. Luke was really good. Brooklyn, whatever, yeah. I guess. Luka was great. Yeah. Porzingis, Porzingis was fine. Did a decent job. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Dorian Finney Smith was on fire from three. Like, it's just, if when you have a guy who's able to orchestrate the way Doncic is, that's just hard to play against. And especially in a system like Milwaukee's, where in theory you're supposed to just kind of funnel them and then let Brooke, but Doncic is so good at finding his way out of those coverages or manipulating the ball or manipulating whoever the man defender is to get around him. So I, I thought all credit to them again. So that, that does have a big role to play. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was the three games. Kind of cruddy, but I think what's maybe more important now that we're eight games, five seeding games, three scrimmage games in is evaluating what do we like, what do we don't like. So we are one and four in seeding games. Or wait, two and four, sorry. Or two and three in seeding games. Whatever, it doesn't matter. We locked up the number one overall seed, so that was most important. But I don't know. It feels a little shaky to me, personally. I, I'm not ecstatic about things. I kind of get the same vibe from you. So I, I think we can start either... There's two ways we can do this. We can either switch off good, bad, so one good thing, one bad thing. We're going to do all good in one section and all bad in which section. What do you want to do? I feel like going all good than all bad would be easier because I feel... My issue is if I go good, I'm going to go right back to the bad. So let's just do it all at once. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I wrote down a couple of things that I thought they were good, and uh, you can kind of toss in a couple other ones if I didn't include it. So on my list here, I said, Brooke Lopez has looked really good, especially offensively. Giannis putting up MVP numbers yet again. Chris has been supremely consistent, very smooth on offense. He's been no ramping up for him. Eric and Pat are back. Don't look too far off in terms of fitness, so they should be able to come back into the rotation as we, that's what these, you know, kind of playing games are for. And then finally, I, I highlighted again the second half effort against Miami as the team at its apex. Um, I thought that showed that they are still capable of doing what they have done throughout the season. But really, to me, I think a lot of the goods are going to come down to the starters, the guys that you're ostensibly going to be riding a lot in important playoff games. They all look good to me. So that's that's my main takeaway so far through the seeding games. How about you? Yeah, I would say most of those as well. I would add with Pat, since he, he's looked good since coming back as well. He's shooting the ball well. Um, I know, I think you tweeted, I think he's shooting like 41% from three. That's really good for Pat Connaughton and even any player in general. So I would say a shout out to Pat Connaughton because he's come in, he shot the ball, he's hitting the shots, they're good looks. I would say, at the very least, Pat Connaughton has not done himself a disservice out of the bench players. So that is one thing. Brooke Lopez, though, if that's what the Bucks are going to get for the rest of the playoffs, that's going to be huge. Because, at worst, he is a rim-protecting big that can stifle an opponent's offense. And right now, at his best, he's a 
rim-protecting big, that is stifling an opponent's offense, and he can hit threes, and he's got a post-up game. That's encouraging to see because other than game six of the Toronto game last year, the Bucks didn't really go to Brook Lopez in the post, and if teams are going to continue playing small ball or if teams are going to try and... I wouldn't say necessarily wall off the paint for Giannis, but make sure that Giannis just can't get to the hoop freely. You can just let Giannis dump it to Brook. Brook can do what he needs to in the post, and then you can create doubles, and then you can he can kick it out and pass it around. And I think that's something that's going to be interesting to see if Milwaukee continues doing that. But Brook Lopez in the post is a nice development that I would like to see more of, just because he's been really good. And, you know, the Dallas game was, I'd say, the ideal Brook Lopez offensive game. And the Boston game and the, and the Rockets game in the second half was what I would hope Milwaukee can do if their offense is in a rut that they can't hit shots. Yeah. Yeah, I think not only the inside game, the outside. I, I think his three-point shot coming back, because that was a concern that we had on the podcast and I think a lot of people as well, the fact that Brook struggled the way that he did from three throughout the regular season like even just yesterday making six threes in a game that's exactly i mean you don't need that every game but if that threat is there if he's even (laughs) making three of them it's like that unlocks so many things for this offense whereas last year in the playoffs either he wasn't getting the shots like he wasn't willing to or just for whatever reason he wasn't taking them as prolifically as he was in the regular season that seemed to have a real impact on a game-to-game basis especially against the raptors like well that's the guy who was our key to being so successful all year. He just wasn't involved all that much, either by design or out of choice. Um, and so in that sort of situation, I think seeing him play as well as he does, if you can get three great performances, good to great performances out of your starters offensively, assuming usually Giannis, Chris, and then either Brooke or Eric, that makes life so much easier for the rest of the team. Because a lot of the time, one, it's going to force Bud's hand to have to go to those guys because they've been the most reliable. And two, it takes the pressure off of the bench, who has played pretty poorly so far, to have to step up in those situations to keep scoring. So I agree completely that Brooks stepping up is huge. Now we'll just have to see, does Eric do the same? He gets a bit of an excuse because he's coming off of COVID. He's getting ramped up, all those sorts of things. But even then, he, he looks like he has his burst. There was a couple of times he still blows like random layups like (laughs) at the rim which is sort of frustrating but we saw a couple of times especially on offense he looked pretty good he he isn't 100 percent, i wouldn't say because of a minutes restriction for the most part but for the most he has looked pretty good maybe not the excellent that he was but i'll take it for now at this point yeah we with eric bledsoe it's more he just needs to get back into game shape because he is at least two weeks behind everyone else um, that got to the bubble right away. So for him and the role that he needs to play, we can work with, he's one of the few that I can look at and say, get to the playoffs healthy. I'm not worried about your play right now. Yep. Pat Connaughton is also in that same boat of get to the playoffs healthy. I'm not, and actually I'm really happy with his play. And those are the kind of things where I think we just have to remember that. And also a good thing is the Christian Yannis pick and roll. We had talked about in the scrimmages um, and how effective that was, and we weren't sure if that was a new thing that was Mm going to be incorporated. It was used a decent amount at the end of the Mavericks game. I would like to see more of that, and maybe that's something that Milwaukee's trying to keep to its chest until it needs to break it out. Because if the system that they have works, then there's no need to 
expose yourself and put more game film out there on how to stop with the Giannis Chris pick and roll if you don't have to. Yep. And I think that I think that's the new in case break in case of emergency. Last year it was Brook Lopez post ups. This year it's the Giannis Chris pick and roll. So it's been working though. So that is an encouraging thing to see because it just adds that option for both players in terms of how to run the offense, especially in late game situations where you know it's just one of us two is going to handle it, and we're just going to go from there. Yep. The three more tiny things I would toss on here. One, shout out to Wes Matthews. He looked pretty good defending James Harden, especially against the Rockets. Um, he had a tough time with Luka, but Luka has really quick lateral versatility, so or um, so that that's a tough assignment for him to try and deal with. So I, I don't knock him too much there. Everybody kind of struggled, and so... Wes Matthews is filling his ideal role right now. Just take threes. Don't think too much. I haven't seen him done like early in the season where you like do random drives. It's like, that's not what we need you here for. He's played within himself offensively. He's been good at moments defensively. Shout out to that guy doing exactly what we need from him as the fifth guy on the floor. Um, like you said about the Chris pick and roll, Chris Giannis pick and roll and the uh, the Brook Lopez post-ups. Seems like Brook, e- or not Brook, but I'm getting all the names mixed up right now. Boonholzer is either more flexible or he's encouraging his guys to be more flexible with their play types and what they're doing on the floor. Um, especially offensively, defensively. We'll talk about that in a second, but offensively we're seeing new looks and i think that's encouraging because in the past i'm not sure if the guys would get stuck in the system and just continue to play the way that they had been taught to because it's really effective but if boonholzer is saying i want to see more creativity out of you guys i want you to still make the calls on the floor for the most part but incorporate these other things now to get comfortable with them i think that's also great and then again we have to tie back not every single stretch of play through this entire bubble has been bad. There were times in the Dallas game, they looked really good. Second half against Miami, they looked really good. They got the win over the Celtics in a game that was a total like knockout, drag out fight. They, you know, I, I think there are moments here where it hasn't been totally dreadful. It hasn't been like New Orleans Pelicans, like total sad fest, you know. There have or been Washington moments. Wizards. Or, yeah, any any of the teams like that are on the outside looking in that really haven't lived up to the possibility of getting into the playoffs it's not that situation for this team. So it's not doom and gloom. Everything is bad. We have seen glimpses of what they are capable of doing as we have seen throughout the season. It's just at this point, can they flip it on during when it actually matters, like second round moving on or even first round if Brooklyn's going to be sort of a bunch of pests. So uh, those are my final three like good things, I would say, how to wrap it up. Yeah, I think it's not like they're getting blown out in games either. All the games have been closed. All the losses have been closed. Again, the Rockets won, came down to the final shot, and then they had to follow for free throws. Nets came down to a final possession. They were unable to get a shot off, unfortunately, but they only lose by three. Dallas, you're in the game. You had overtime, and it just got a bit away from you. And That's a good thing is that they're not getting blown out. It's just the late-game execution hasn't been great, but you can. that's a fixable mistake. If they're getting blown out in all these losses, then it's starting to become, okay, what the hell is going on? So I would agree that at the very least, they're losing close games, and they did beat the Celtics, and they did beat the Heat, so you are beating other Eastern Conference teams that you'll likely see in the playoffs. Now it's time for the bad stuff. 
I don't even know where to begin. Uh, so if you have an overriding, well, I think I wrote down, <laughs> I wrote down a couple of things. George Hill, slow off the mark. Dante looks awful for the most part. Uh, and the three point percentage is pretty much abysmal for anybody who actually plays minutes that's coming off the bench. Uh, and I, I believe the only other thing was, um, I don't know who tweeted it out. Sorry for whoever tweeted this out for not giving you credit, but I believe we're the 27th ranked offense so far in the bubble. Like our offense is just not good right now overall. Like Giannis is getting his numbers. Chris is getting his numbers. Brooke gets his numbers. Those guys are fine. Everybody else has been awful for the most part so I, I don't know where you want to begin with it it feels like it's a long list of items and hopefully we don't sound too doom and gloom again this isn't a team left for dead there's just a lot of parts where it's like you're scratching your head like what what's happening here i don't really get it i think i'll start with what i had tweeted last night at what point does do we stop using the excuse these games don't matter because yes technically the dallas game was the first of, they already have the one seed clinch. It doesn't necessarily matter in terms of standings, but performance-wise, there's got to be some concern because, yes, you went against the Celtics, knock them, drag them, fight, okay. But you fail late in the game against Houston to execute, and you commit a bunch of turnovers. And defensively, all over the place, granted Houston is an exception because of how many threes they shoot. You play the Nets, and defensively, it is an abysmal showing. Again, against a team that is willing to shoot the ball from three, but you're, it's still very poor play, and they had Giannis and Chris, at least for the first half. Then that first half against the Heat, full strength. Again, defensively, it looks really, really bad. And then you have this Dallas game where, once again, down the stretch, cannot execute. And, again, and this is with starters, so... I'm just wondering at what point can we continue using the these games don't matter because yes they don't matter but at the same time you can't just limp into the playoffs and expect them to just flip a switch. Now they seem to have flipped the switch when they played the Heat in the second half but that's not something that you can constantly just rely on and rely on especially when the opponents get tougher and you're playing the same team over and over. So they're going to figure out things. They're going to fit, learn things. And I think that's, for me, the more concerning part is because, yes, Milwaukee can, but at the same time, it's you can't not play well going into the playoffs. And I also would say that the same thing that I'm asking on Milwaukee, I'm looking at the Lakers as well, wondering... You've, they've also been struggling in the bubble. Are they going to just be able to flip a switch? And the Clippers, they've been relatively... Like, all these teams, except the Phoenix Suns, have relatively struggled a bit in the bubble. And you have to raise some questions about that. And granted, every team in the bubble is at least a good team. So you don't have a scrub that you can win and turn it around and flip a switch and hope that things go well. Like, every team here is good. Every team here is a team that you could potentially see in the playoffs, whether mm -hmm. it's in the first round with, like, the Nets, the second round with the Heat or, you know, Sixers or Pacers. You might face them in the Eastern Conference Finals, like the Celtics or the Raptors. You might face one of the LA teams. You might face Houston in the Finals. You might face Dallas in the Finals if things break right for them. So yep. that's, I guess, for me, the bigger concern is I know we want to say, you know, these games don't matter because 
standings-wise, yes, but performance-wise and just execution-wise, it's still raising a lot of alarm bells for me. I agree with all those things. The other thing that's a real concern to me is just look at the roster, look at the rotation. We, you, I, Adam, we talked through the season, I think even a, a couple months ago before COVID hit, about who is your ideal rotation? Who are we going to go to? Like if you have eight or nine guys, right? And the five starters, that's fine. And then after that, it's like George Hill. It seemed like Dante was going to be one of the guys because he was really coming up. Marvin, and then like maybe Pat or Sterling or Robin, just kind of depending on game-to-game basis. But like if you look at all those guys then, I mean, I tweeted out earlier today, their three-point percentages for the most part are horrendous for those guys. And that's... Except Pat. Except for Pat, Pat and Urson's 60% three-point shooter. I pray we don't see Urson in the playoffs. So I guess that's a moot point. Um, But, like, when you look at it, I'm worried because when did the Bucks really fall apart last year in the Eastern Conference Finals? It was when, like, Giannis was off the floor, Chris was off the floor. When we had the bench guys out there, I mean, George played really well, and he swapped in for Eric. But there were times where it was like, man, we are just dying out here, especially offensively. And so to see those guys, to me, the big two are going to be um, George Hill and Dante playing as poorly as they do. George, mm-hmm. if he's not making threes, you can compensate a little bit with him, especially if he takes over for Eric being the guy who helps kind of orchestrate the offense. But his three-point shooting was great through the season. If it's not going to be there now, that's a problem. Dante as well, he was going to kind of be the panacea guy, especially on both ends. He's like the super sub. He does a little bit of everything. He's athletic. He was shooting only 33% from three, but that was better than his current 22% in the bubble. Um, Defensively, he was jumping a lot of the lines. I think I noted that his total rebound percentage is down, his steal percentage is down, his block percentage is down, his true shooting percentage is down like over 13%. Meanwhile, his turnover percentage is up, and I should give him credit, his assist percentage is up as well. But he wasn't even that assisting a ton before, and part of that is because he stepped in for Eric, so he benefited off of that. But I think those two guys are who I'm really concerned about, and if they don't work it out, that's two core parts to your rotation that you're hurting. Marvin, not too worried. He's active. We don't need a lot from him. He's filling in like some of the honest minutes. Okay, no problem there. Robin has looked okay, but he's kind of like a depends on the matchup guy. Sterling has looked not great for, for most of the bubble. We've gone um, over Sterling already. We've gone all over <laughs> Sterling. That hasn't changed in the week since our last podcast. And so I'm really worried about the bench and the rotation at large. Now, maybe Boonholzer will prove us wrong and he'll be more adept at changing up the minute load and saying, okay, Giannis, Chris, we're going to play you more than we normally would. Um, but that's maybe going to be one of the few solutions we have if the bench is going to struggle the way they have through the bubble so far. And it's also, is Budenholzer going to always have one of Giannis or Chris on the floor? Because if you could at least have one of them on the floor, that's a little bit better with your rotation. When both of them are off the floor, and this might be because bubble games, games don't truly, truly matter standings-wise, don't risk it. But in terms of the bench rotation, yeah, we talked about those guys. And are we going to get Kyle Korver minutes <laughs> in some capacity? Cause uh-huh. We might. It seems like he's willing to try. He's he's going to try to make it happen, it seems. That's what I'm worried about is Bud's going to try and go 10-11 deep when there's no reason and the play so far is not warranted them going 10 or 11 deep. If they were playing well, okay, fine. But none of them are playing well enough to justify – 
yes, they need to absolutely get on the court. Pat Connaughton's the only guy on the bench out of, you know, Dante and George Hill. Like, the best of the rest, Pat is the one guy where it's, you're looking at him and said he needs to be out there. But Kyle Korver does not need to be out there. Ursula Minnesota does not need to be out there. Sterling Brown does not need to be out there. DJ Wilson should not be out there. <laughs> Marvin Williams, you know, in the playoffs, it's not going to be as big of a deal because we're going to assume Giannis is going to play 37, 38 minutes. Yep. So you can live with Marvin Williams taking the rest of those minutes. Yep. And Robin Lopez, yeah, in case of emergency. But going to Dante and George Hill, I think the bigger concern is more the turnovers because we see why Milwaukee's rating is so bad is because they've been turning the ball over mm-hmm. so frequently. Yep. And that's more the concern because it, well, part of it is they are doing too much and trying to do more than they need to. But at the same time, those are the kind of things that are going to hurt you late in the game. Those are the things where if George Hill's turning the ball over and he's not hitting shots, why bother having him out there at the end of the game? If Dante can't, at the very least, if Dante can't hit shots, you can rely on him on being good with the ball and defensively showing up. And so far, he has not necessarily defensively been at his peak. So I think with those two in particular, it's just more they have specific roles and they it, they have to play better than they currently have if Milwaukee wants to have a chance. Um, will it happen? I'm sure one of those two is going to turn it around. But is it going to be too little too late at that point? Yeah, another thing I want to give another nod to here. Giannis, throughout, I mean, he's been putting up a lot of great numbers. Two things that I'm concerned about through the five bubble games, through the seeding games, he's averaged 28.8 minutes played. Uh, To be fair, that was cut down a lot by the Brooklyn game where only played about 16 minutes. But I'm concerned about him gassing again because he did against the Raptors, it seemed. And so far, he's had moments where he looks gassed and it's like, well... Mm -hmm is that going to continue as well into the playoffs? Are we going to ramp up or are we just going to hold true there? The other thing I have a point at is the fact that he's only shot 57.4% from the free throw line uh, for a guy who goes to the free throw line about 10 times a game. And the guy that we keep expecting to be going to the free throw line more than he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, he could be going we even more, but I almost worry about it because like, is, does he get even more rattled struggling there more than he already is with the volume that he gets? But... You know, I think for a guy, we've talked about it. It's a huge issue. It's so funny to me, like, the amount of times we, we being the Bucks fandom at large, the amount of times throughout the season or throughout the year, I've seen people start to, like, well, Giannis needs to do this, Giannis needs to do that. He's reverted to this free throw form. Like, we've tried to fix it so many times. He's probably tired of trying to fix it. It's just, like, we, we don't have a solution yet. I have no idea what the it's solution is. It's just not is. going to happen. And sometimes you can put as much effort and as much attempts to fix it as you can. It just may, Maybe it just doesn't work, and that's okay. Now, the everyone that was saying, yeah, this needs to shoot more threes, that needs to stop because going... Yes, he could start off like he did against Brooklyn going two or three, but I don't want to see Giannis take seven threes. Mm-hmm. Giannis taking... Four, three or four three pointers. Four point four five. three pointers a game. Yep, that's his. That's his average right now. And that's okay, but seven is no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, he's I don't uh, care. again. He's shooting twenty seven point three percent from out there. Which I mean, to be fair, that's like in line with like career averages. It's consistent, but yeah. that's the point. Like everyone was just saying, Giannis needs to shoot more threes. Well, shooting more threes doesn't necessarily mean 
it's going to result in more threes made percentage-wise. It just means you try and keep him as a threat. But as we see with Joel Embiid, just because he shoots a bunch of threes doesn't mean anyone respects him as a shooter as much. So, yeah. I don't know. It's it, it's ugly right now. Um, if, for him, I mean, he's still getting a lot of the points the ways that you want. And the main difficulty is the fact that he's just getting, getting hammered a lot. Sorry. My dog just started trying to run away from uh, my fiance there. So that's, that's why I'm that happens. Um, <laughs> it happens. It, we, we're human people listeners um i i think the main issue is we've we've seen him do everything there's very little i want Giannis to change like do better making decisions hopefully he continues to get used to the walls that people are throwing at him otherwise i mean he's been as lights out as you could want for the most part you're right don't shoot threes don't mess up with it i want to see chris take more shots against dallas i thought there was probably possibility for him to take over a little bit more let's see that but he's been also consistent um, but, but I think for me and you, and here's, an, here's another question for you. How concerned are you about the defense? So in that same tweet that somebody said that the offense of the 27th overall, which is a problem, but I think that comes down a lot to the, the bench guys that we just talked about in the turnovers defensively, we're fifth overall. That's, that's a lot closer and in the bubble environment where teams are playing as good as they have been playing offensively, that's pretty good. Um, I still think, though, there is room for improvement, and a lot of that comes down to, for whatever reason, we're doing a lot of overhelping, especially if, if yep. a guy like Wes gets blown by on the um, perimeter, um, if Dante isn't able to get over the pick hard enough. It, I know Eric's still kind of working his way back in, so I'm not too concerned there, but it feels like the system is... Even if you get beat on the perimeter, Brooke is down there to help out, and hopefully whoever Brooke's assignment is isn't a good three-point shooter, and you just let that happen. Normally, that's how it's supposed to go. For whatever reason, it's difficult against Dallas because Porzingis is a three-point threat. It's difficult against Houston because they run small, and they usually have great three-point shooters. But for the most part, even against like the Nets, it seems for whatever reason that it's a simple drive-and-kick action for a lot of teams. It's just that Dallas made it a lot worse because Luka is that good at passing out of traffic and Houston has that much, is that prolific from three. So are you concerned about the defense at all? Is there anything else that you would want to change or am I off base at all in your estimation? It is concerning. The Miami Heat first half is a prime example of yeah. the concern because of that overhelp. And, you know, sometimes Bam Adebayo is going to hit a three in your mm-hmm. face at the end of yep. the half. That's the kind of shot you want him taking, though. Yep. But when someone like Duncan Robinson or Kendrick Dunn are taking the threes, they're good shooters, and they seem to be wide open. And that's something that, because of the overhelp, it results in them. I think that's kind of the issue that I have with the defense and overhelping is it's one thing when it's a Marcus Smart who has shot better, but you can allow him to shoot a three. You can allow guys that shoot 30 31%. Let them have those shots, but when you're getting to the Porzingis, when you're getting to the Kendrick Nunn's, Duncan Robinson's, anyone on the Houston Rockets, um, you know, when if they play the Raptors, if you got Fred Van Vliet, right now TJ Warren is apparently the best player in the bubble. It's those type of guys that they seem to also be getting open looks, and that's my concern. And how much of that is, there's again, trying to do too much, or they're a step too slow, or what it is i don't know yeah but i would say on a scale of one to ten i put that as a six 
Yeah. It's not just an average concern I have, but it's not I am panicking, hitting the panic button as much as I've sounded like I'm hitting the panic button. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Just kind of get a wistful look in my eyes. It's There's been a lot of stuff where it's... And, and the issue as well, on top of all that, is all the things that we just talked about, I'm not sure how much of it is readily correctable by, quote-unquote, flipping on the switch. Defense, maybe more so. That might be an execution issue. And like we said, against Miami in the second half, it looks really good. That's exactly what we wanted. And so yep. maybe that's, like you said, a six is probably good there because that's more execution-based. It's not a personnel issue. It's either adjusted slightly slightly if the other team is a lot of three-point shooters or just stop overhelping. Okay, simple enough there. The other stuff, the especially in the offensive end, I don't know what flipping a switch looks like there. It That feels like it's not like Dante and George and... I mean, Sterling and Marvin and whoever, it's not like they're half-assing it out there. It's not like they're going, it's not like they're not trying. They are trying. Oh, they're they're trying. (laughs) They're they're just not playing well. And it's like, what's going to be the switch flip there? I don't know what that is. And maybe the move then is, again, pushing against Budenholzer's propensity for just doling out the minutes the way that he does and going with the starters more. But those other issues don't seem as readily fix fixable unless it simply get into a rhythm in which case good thing we have you know another seven games where that don't matter i hate that that's the term that we're using but the ones that don't have as as much in the way of stakes because against that competition either the wins and losses truly don't impact the team or you have enough raw talent to be able to get past it anyhow so that and that's what I'm worried about most going into this is like, it seems like the issues aren't as easily fixable as you would like. The, yeah. Offensively, I feel like right now everyone's just trying to do more than they normally would because they can do more. Yeah. They have the opportunity to try, you know, Dante running point. I don't think that's going to be something that we see too frequently in, when it comes to the playoffs. Sterling Brown being more of a focal point of a bench lineup. I don't see that being like it's just some of those things where it seems like those guys are trying to do more because they have the availability and the opportunities to do more. And when it gets to the playoffs, you kind of expect that to be a little bit more restrained, mainly because the pace of playoff games slows down more than a regular season game. Yeah. All right. Well, that's kind of the good and the bad. Is there any? Was there anything that we missed that you want to hit on, either positive or negative? I think I'll end on a positive. Is this team still looks to be the favorite in the Eastern Conference, and I think that's worth remembering. While Toronto is still the most likely team to knock them down, mm-hmm. maybe some of these other teams can take them to six or seven instead of the five or six that we were initially thinking. So I still think Milwaukee's the best team in the East. It just might be a little bit tougher and it might take a few more games than we would ideally want. Yep, I agree with that, uh, and I'm going to offset your positive take with a negative one i'm scared as hell if uh boonholzer gets in a coaching matchup with nurse or spo or whoever that feels like (laughs) we're gonna be playing with fire still i would love to be proven wrong and it's so hard right now because he always plays it close to the chest slash nonchalant slash he kind of has a i don't care aesthetic all the time 
I'm worried about that still. There's nothing. There's been nothing in this bubble that has assuaged my concerns there. So that's that's my negative point to end off of. And I feel like that was a concern that most of us had going into the regular season. Yep. pre-COVID and everything, not even just the bubble. So Yeah, yeah, maybe it'll be a good thing that a lot of the players suck because then he can't just roll 11 deep. But, I mean, he loves rolling 11 deep, so, I mean, he got him got him to the dance. Let's, let's go for it. So we'll see. I don't know. So that's kind Might of the, well. <laughs> that's the good and the bad. We're going to take a quick break right now for uh, a couple ads, and we'll be right back to do our quick miscellaneous hit and then talk about the last of the seeding games. We'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, this week, unfortunately, I forgot Fountain Pending, so I have nothing to review. Uh, oh I, I, I do ha- <laughs> I do have some rapid-fire questions, though, so we're going to hit you with that. And then, I, do you even have a film review? We should have talked about this before the podcast. I do. I do. Good. Wonderful. Okay, so we will f- first hit with the rapid-fire questions. Are you ready, Kyle? Let's go. Okay, number one, Qdoba or Chipotle? I'm actually going to throw you for a loop. Pancheros. Pancheros. Same thing as Qdoba and Chipotle. There's not that many. It started. I think it started in Iowa. Okay. There's a few in Madison. There's a few in Iowa. I think there's one in. I want. What's that? It's right outside of Minneapolis. It's like a rich area. Um, uh, Bloomington. No, there might be one. <laughs> there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of wealthy neighborhoods around Minneapolis. It's tough yeah, to I'm to, I don't remember what it's called. It's gonna bother me. And actually, let me just quickly Google. But I would go Pancheros. Um, Pancheros. Because okay. You get the same. You get the queso like you do with Qdoba, but you get the quality of burritos that you did with Chipotle. Okay. So I would go Pancheros. That is the that is the best of both worlds going for so that shout out to Pancheros uh, we're looking forward to those free burritos you're gonna send us for that quick ad hit for you guys <laughs> I will always take free burritos <laughs> absolutely second question Golden for Valley you. that's what Golden that's Valley okay shout out to Pancheros and Golden Valley I know we got listeners there uh, where we go coast mm-hmm. to coast on this podcast second question let's say Marvin goes down you know God forbid that happens but if he's not available. Are you riding with DJ Wilson or Ursan Ilyasova in playoff minutes? I would go with DJ <laughs> Wilson just because. Only because I know he's going to try. And I just need two. I just need five good minutes out of DJ Wilson, and I know he won't get absolutely torched defensively. Yeah. I can, I, I'll punt on offense if that means defense. He might force a few stops. It's a tough question because I want to give Ursan the franchise player that he is a moment in the sun to be to be the guy who locks up LeBron and wins us the finals. Obviously, I want that, but I also want DJ Wilson, much maligned bench guy, to get a moment in the sun. So that's that's a tough uh, toss up. I'd probably, I guess, also go with DJ, but I think either of them are pretty screwed. So that's kind of the situation. As we said. We, he's always ready, and that is a great skill to have. That is a great skill, especially in the playoffs. So shout out, DJ. Go out there and win us that championship. Uh, third question, what's your favorite book or something that you've read? It can be either overall favorite if you have one or something you've read recently that you liked. I would say something I read recently. Um, it's called Dark Matter. Okay. It's a science fiction book, um, and that was 
it's like this guy that wakes up and someone basically kidnaps him and beats him up trying to get information. And he's trying to figure out, like, what is going on. They're asking him questions. He's like, I don't know who this man is. I don't know what questions he's asking. But as you get further into the book, you find out that there's kind of like an alternate, yeah, an alternative universe. And that person, like, finds this, like, big scientific, he has this big scientific breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And there are people coming after him to try and figure out what that is. So I think that's, it was a really cool book. I listened to it as an audiobook as well. So that made it pretty important as well and it, in terms of, it was an easy audiobook. It was fun to listen to. Um, yeah. So the, I would say Dark Matter, and it's by Blake Crouch. Um, so that's a good book um, that I really enjoyed listening to. Okay. Yeah, I like, uh, it's been a while since I last listened to an audiobook, but I love anytime, usually it's just one dude or gal who's doing the actual, the full reading, the range of voices. If you have something where it's like, okay, I have to play like, this guy has to do an American guy from the Midwest, a Russian guy, like a German dude, <laughs> some guy yeah. from like Japan. It's like, all right, we're just gonna <laughs> like shut early. The girl have, the like, trade is a prime example of high quality ridiculousness with accents and everything. Yeah, it's good stuff. Shout out to all the audiobook readers. Like, you guys are doing God's work out there. All right, fourth question. We're down to final two ones. Did that victory of Dallas over Milwaukee yesterday seal Giannis going to join Luca and Porzingis in Big D? <laughs> Well, with all the praise that Giannis is giving Luca, I mean, it's that's the new that's it's, the new leader of Vulture Talk. It's sorry, a game. Raptors fans, sorry mm-hmm. Warriors fans, like Giannis is not praising any of your players. Like he is praising Luca. To me, it would be super disrespectful if he went to Dallas. Like, okay, Toronto, Cosmopolitan, sure, whatever. Like Masai, your father is there. Like, I get that. <laughs> L.A., great media market. Okay, that's fine. Dallas. Dallas is like the Milwaukee of Texas. Like, what's in Dallas besides, like, Jerry World? So I think... I was going to say, you don't want to spend a whole week in Jerry World. Well, obviously I do. Everybody does. But besides that, I mean, we have, like, the domes. That's, like, our own Jerry World. So that that's what's frustrating to me if he was to go there. Otherwise, yes, they are the leader in the Vulture Talk Clubhouse. Final question for you. What are you listening to right now? Is there an artist, a song, an album that... It could be Taylor Swift, her latest folklore album. Did not uh, listen to it. Did um, not listen to it. We're not going to review <laughs> that. Is there something else you're listening to right now? Oh, man. I'm trying to think. When I'm not listening to Disney music with the baby. Um, Burna Boy. He is a Nigerian artist. Um, pretty. It, he's kind of got a Afrobeat, reggae type of style of music um i'm sure most of your favorite musicians have probably done a song with him if they're a pop star um really talented really good he had an album come out last year called african giant that was a lot of fun so i would say he's been the person i've been listening to the most and i really like him i hope someday to see him in concert and we'll toss a link to that you will suggest me after this a song i will put a link for that in the show notes for people to follow along if they so yeah, desire song. <laughs> we got time no rush song. on that all right enough for the uh rapid fire questions what do we got in film review this week so last week we did psych the movie we did today we've got psych two yeah. <laughs> lassie come home is what it's yeah. called um, <laughs> okay even better um 
It is on Peacock, the new streaming service, courtesy of NBC. Mm-hmm. The nice thing with Peacock is you don't have to pay. There is a free version. You just have to deal with a lot of ads. They don't even ask for your credit card. So, at least it is legitimately free. And if you want to pay more to not have ads, you can. Except if you're a big Premier League fan of soccer, then you're going to have to get the premium to get the games. It's dumb. It's getting sidetracked. So, it's like to the movie. Um, I don't know how long it follows up the first movie because it's still generally the same characters. It's still the same time frame, it seems like. I would say maybe a year or two at most um, that they jump forward. But one of the main characters, he is the chief of one of the... He's the chief of police. He gets gunned down by someone, so he kind of wakes up after being in a coma and is recovering. And he's seeing hallucinations. He's thinking things... He's, like, thinking there's ghosts or something. So they got to look into it and review it. It's kind of a... Everyone's trying to find out who shot him and why they did it. And it's kind of funny because you have like all these different characters that probably should be focusing on their own jobs in their own mm-hmm. city, but they're mm-hmm. traveling all the way down to Santa Barbara, California to help them out. And it, it was like classic psych even better as well. Um, I don't think this one was like a made for TV movie, thankfully. So it just flowed endlessly. So there weren't like weird that there weren't breaks that would have been for commercials. Um, the ending was really nice. He, the cop that gets gunned down, he's leaving. He's able to go home after being in rehab for, you know, physical therapy for, I don't know how, it seems like it's been for months, but it's a very tender moment. It's a very great moment in the main characters, like bonding with his father who apparently died as well. So it's like, it, I don't know why, maybe it's because I recently became a father, but it, it did hit mm-hmm. differently. So mm-hmm. it was a good movie. Um, I'd give that a seven and a half out of 10. It was enjoyable. But it is one where you would have to, at the very least, watch this first Psych movie, and you probably just need to watch all eight seasons of Psych to even understand half the references and jokes that are made. That feels like a lot of time commitment, but we're also in the middle pandemic where everybody should hopefully be mostly hanging out at home. So <laughs> it's, people got time. It's our they got episodes, time. So yeah, if you watch an episode a night, you can probably have it done in two three months. That's not bad. That's doable. That's easily doable. Yeah. People, listen to Kyle's advice. Watch Psych ASAP. One, two seasons, everything. Are the seasons available <laughs> on Peacock? Do you know where those are at? What's, what's streaming there? Apparently, the, the seasons are available on Peacock, but it is for sure on Amazon Prime. Okay. And All right. uh, the first Psych movie you have to pay for, but that's on Amazon Prime as well. Okay. 7.5 for both movies. That's not bad. Like, to be consistent, I think first one that has a novelty, the second one, that's tough to follow up The when you have a TV series that turns into a movie. That's tough. So shout out to... Good for them. Get 7.5. Yeah. That's pretty consistent. And this one, it at least felt like there probably won't... Could they make another movie after this? Sure. Mm-hmm. But they don't have to. How it ended, it was a very good ending. So that if they decide not to do it again, it's at least ending on a high note. Great. Psych. Good job, Psych. That's what we like to hear. All right. The uh, games that are ahead this week. If you guys thought that the Bucks didn't care about the games before, oh boy, <laughs> you're in for a treat this week. We got three, uh, the close down before the playoffs. Um, just real quick tonight, assuming I get this out on Monday, they play the Raptors on Tuesday, back to back to play the Wizards. And on Thursday, they play the Grizzlies. Um, uh, to me, 
you can i'll let you give your prediction first but the one that's probably going to be the most interesting is maybe against the grizzlies because the grizzlies are potentially going to be playing for their lives there so uh i don't know what do you feel what's your record predicted record this week i go two and one mm-hmm. i'm trying to decide which one they're going to lose but the I go Wizard- two and one. You can say the Wizards game. It's fine. We know. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it was the Wizards game because they that might be – it is on a back-to-back. Yeah. So Bud just might say, screw this. We're not bothering with the Wizards. And he go – and that's the full-fledged Frank Mason, DJ Wilson, Sterling, Brown. Sterling yep. Brown, Robin Lopez starting lineup. Yep. Pat Connaughton and Dante getting most of the minutes off the bench. Ursan and Marvin – that is the game. It might be the full bench special. It might be. There's it possibility. It might be a bench special game against the Wizards. So, yeah, I think I'll go 2-1, and one, and I'll say the Wizards just because that is ultimately the we really do not care, and this game does not matter because I think I don't even think Washington's within range to even play nope. the 8-9. Nope. So, yeah. I can it, see that just being a full bench mess, sloppy mess. And what time is that? I gotta see what time that Washington one is. Because if that's an afternoon game, oh yeah, it's gonna be ugly. <laughs> I did not look up the start times. That was a mistake on my part. I don't know what I was thinking there. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. I would say they'll go. It's an 8 p.m. start for the Washington game, 5 30 start Oof. against Toronto. To be determined against Memphis. I don't know why it's to be determined. That makes no sense to me, but whatever. Um, I would say 1 and 2 and. They may try to make an example of Toronto, maybe. Like, that might be one where they play. I, I think of the three games, that's the one where the starters are going to play the most. And we've seen it before. If the starters are really committed, they catch fire. They can probably put enough of a lead to make it easier on the bench guys. So I would say maybe Toronto something to prove and one final tune-up game for the starters. Uh, the other two, like you said, Washington, it's going to be like <laughs> The nobody cares ball. Whoever comes out of that with a win, it's pretty much for showing up. And then against the yep. Grizzlies, I think it's going to be sort of like the Wizards game where you're not going to see a lot of minutes from guys that aren't off the bench. And like I said, at that point, I don't know how the play-in games are going to work in the West, but I feel I would assume that the Grizzlies are going to be a position where they have to really still continue to fight for their playoff position because it's really tight between them, Phoenix, and Portland. So I think that'll be another loss just because we'll have the ultimate no stakes and they'll have everything to play for. So I think one to two is probably what I would go for this week. Yeah, the Memphis one, I could see Milwaukee starting the game with Giannis and Chris and all the starters and then maybe by half kind of what they do with the Brooklyn game yep. where by halftime they decide we're done, we're resting and who else, maybe Milwaukee can do a better job and get a lead and hold on to it so I, I feel a little bit more optimistic about the Memphis ones. I think if Milwaukee does throw the starters out there, they'll play well enough that the bench should at the very least Maybe they don't win by 10 or 15, but they win by, like, 4 or 5. Yep. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Remember, everybody, nothing that we see this week matters because none this of these games actually matter. This true. There's, none of <laughs> them matters. Wise, yeah. it, it, I know it's annoying for everybody to keep hammering home on that, but it's true. I mean, th- this is really not mattering situation here, so don't get too stressed out about it. But if you're still mad, if there are things that you're worried about, if the things that we brought up tonight worry you as well, 
it's fair enough i think uh we'll see how it kind of works out here but i think that'll kind of wrap it up for us i believe next week cross fingers adam will be back we'll have these three games to talk about but more importantly we will be on the cusp of the playoffs uh, at this point, I believe that Brooklyn has a two-game lead over Orlando for the eighth spot, so we'll talk about whoever ends up being the eventual opponent, talk about what the path forward through the playoffs looks like for Milwaukee and kind of where we're going, how we're feeling at that point. Um, but I think that kind of does it for us, like I said. Uh, catch the Monday Morning Media Roundup every Monday morning over on Brew Hoop. Kyle at Kyle Cochet and or the man behind the Brew Hoop Twitter account during the games. Uh, Kyle, are you working anything? Anything you want to plug before we go? I am not. I probably should, though, but I have not had any ideas. <laughs> That's all right. It's, games don't matter. That's what matters most. We can't even write about anything because it's like, what are you supposed to write about? And then the games don't matter. So Yeah, so you anyways. guys kind of did a good job last week with explaining what's wrong, with what's go- like... What's going on? Why is yeah. it wrong? Like you guys covered it. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a good plug. Uh, you should go check out Mitchell Maurer's, uh The I can't remember the title, but he covers the things that ail the Bucks. A lot of point, three point percentage for the opponents, turnover issues, stuff like that. You read it. Keep an eye on that as the games go on. We want to thank you guys all for listening, and we will catch you again next week. Mm-hmm.